Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, we're yet another week into spring training now. More content, more things to talk about. Um, and as we explained last week when we had Juan Toribio on, um, we wanted to go division by division, breaking things down as we lead up to the uh, start of the season. And so we'll stay in the West. We started NL West. We said no one ever does, so we want to do it in reverse order here. Eastern people can wait until the end. And so we'll move over to AL West. We have Kennedy Landry on with us. She covers the Rangers for MLB.com. Um, and Sarah, I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head that you wanted to start with, but I'll turn it over to you so you can, uh, you can start this off. Yeah, Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, you know, we've been picking and choosing what team are we going to focus on when we have these previews. Obviously, we're talking about the whole division. But even though the Rangers are not necessarily expected to win the division, I do think they're probably the most interesting team heading into 2023 after the offseason and obviously Jacob DeGrom, other additions. So what has the vibe been like in training camp and spring training so far? I mean, I just feel like this team is in such a different spot than a year ago. Yeah, it feels so exciting and optimistic. It's very different, especially somebody who's covered this team since 2021. I've just, everybody's just in such a good mood all the time. I think that's really the biggest thing. Um, but then talking to these pitchers and even the position players, I think it's very clear that they feel like they're in a position to contend. Um, even if maybe everybody else don't, doesn't think they will, I think they they do, and they're very uh, confident in this team's abilities and the the rotation. We can't stop talking about uh, Jacob Degrom first of all, and then Nathan Uvalde and Andrew Haney coming in to join the rotation with Martin Perez and and John Gray. It's it's a lot, got a lot of heavy hitters in it, um, and I know the off they didn't really add anything on the offensive end, but. I think if you can score one or two runs with this rotation, you may be able to win a lot of games anyway. So a lot of excitement and optimism hanging around this camp right now. And it's, it's, it's exciting. I have a two-part question for you. One, I mean, it, we have to talk about DeGrom. I think you sort of knew that was going to happen. Um, one, what was that day like for you? Were you expecting that level of a signing? I remember... 
I was decorating my Christmas tree and this came through on my watch and I was just like, oh, it's just Twitter, whatever. I saw it was Rangers. So I'm like, oh, it's not Guardians. I don't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, did that just say DeGrom to the Rangers? And I remember texting my parents and I was like, what on earth is going on? Did you have that same type of reaction? Were you expecting them to be big spenders or this offseason? And then secondly, I know so much about his health has been speculated this uh, this spring. Is he in okay shape uh, looking forward towards opening day? Yeah, so first of all, that, that was a crazy night um, for me. Uh, my, my boyfriend lives out of town, so he was, he was in Dallas. It was his last night. We were at dinner, um, and somebody texted me and said, I hope. I hope you don't have too much wine tonight is what the text said. And I was like, haha, jokes, like, what do you mean? And they were like, no, no, no I'm serious. Um, and then about 30 minutes later, the rain, like, you know, Jeff Passan or Mark Feinstein didn't tweet it. The Rangers themselves somehow made it through all of the, the newsbreakers in Major League Baseball and tweeted it themselves that they had signed Jacob deGrom. And I was just I'm in a random <laughs> beer garden in downtown Dallas. And I was like, oh, this is happening like right now. Um, and that, so that was a crazy day. I did a, a conference call with general manager Chris Young from right outside of this beer garden in the middle of Dallas. Um, it was, again, it was a crazy night. I had to rewrite a newsletter that I had filed earlier in the day. Like everything was going. Um, so we knew the Rangers were going to be big spenders. I think uh, owner Ray Davis has said that he's, basically tired of losing in more or less uh, words. They did it with last offseason with Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, but they didn't add the pitching that they needed to, and the team kind of fell flat on its face midway through the year. Uh, so he said he was going to spend money. He said pitching was going to be the number one priority, and then that's exactly what he did. Uh, Jacob DeGrom, and again, adding Andrew Haney and Nathan Navaldi as well. Uh, DeGrom's health, it, he pitched off the – he threw a bullpen today. It's the first bullpen of spring. He came into camp with a – quote, left side issue, uh, which has never been an issue for him before, even with all the arm and shoulder and back and anything. It's never been an issue. Um, so he just came in and said, hey, this is a little sore. They evaluated with the trainers, Mike Maddox, the new pitching coach, and just said, hey, we're going to take a few days, take this off, and we'll re-up it. So he started playing catch a few days ago. There was first bullpen today. They said everything is fine. Uh, he said he wasn't going like full effort, but they, it was nice and easy. Nothing hurt. Uh, he said he stopped hurting a few days ago. So everything points towards him being ready for opening day. Um, I know we've all heard that before when it comes to Jacob deGrom. Uh, so, you know, grain of salt and everything. But Mike Maddox did say that he threw more bullpens leading up to spring trading in January than he has in the past. So he's really not even behind the schedule considering he came in the camp ahead of schedule. So, you know, again, all grain of salt, take with that what you will, but it does seem as if Jacob deGrom will be back on track after today. I do think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss one other big addition that the team made in the offseason, and that's manager Bruce Bochy, and I'm biased. He's one of my <laughs> absolute favorite people in baseball, and I remember when he got hired after my mom uh, was finished freaking out because she was very excited. Uh, she's a big Giants fan, but a big Boch fan. Uh, but I remember being really excited that you would get to cover him and of course, you know, for spring training with a new team and for him, first time being with a new franchise in a really long time, what have you seen from him, heard from him 
over these last, uh, I guess, week now, week plus that you've been there, and really since, uh, you know, uh, what, Caravans and FanFest, all of that. Well, Bruce Boshi is another signing that happened when, at a very inconvenient time for me. Uh, I, I was in the middle of a six-hour drive back home to visit my parents, uh, so I had to pull over to write that. Uh, so thank you, Texas Rangers, for all of these inconvenient signings. Uh, but Bruce Boshi, I mean, I, obviously everybody knows he's a One World Series. He's a phenomenal manager. I think he just walks with an air of like, like this guy knows what he's doing. This guy is a Hall of Famer. Like there's nothing you can really take from that. And then just how he walks around, how he, the conversations he's having with these guys, it's very clear that the players look up to him. Um, and there's... You know, I know the Rangers had a lot of issues in the last few years, and Chris Woodward was a first-time manager. This, The last three managers the Rangers have hired before Bruce Boshi were all first-time managers. Uh, it's obviously to varying degrees of success between Ron Washington, Jeff Bannister, and Chris Woodward. But, you know, bringing in Bruce Boshi, it just feels like I tweeted this. There's an adult in the room. Um, and I know, like, obviously they're all adults and they're veteran players on this team, but it just feels like Boshi has a way of getting these guys, you know, moving in the right direction uh, in the way that the Rangers really need to do and haven't done in almost a decade at this point with haven't made it to the playoffs since 2016 and really since the Astros have kind of commandeered the division. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm very excited to be able to cover a manager of Bruce Boshi's caliber. He's a he's a funny guy. Uh, and he's giving he, he's honest and truthful and he tells you what needs to be said about all of these guys players veterans rookies all of that alike so it's exciting you sort of just alluded to my next question of I mean not even just necessarily focused on the Rangers can someone in this division dethrone the Astros or does it just seem like it could just be another cakewalk again um, the way I've talked about the Astros in this division since what 2017 has been the way I talked about Alabama football my entire life um, is that <laughs> I, I don't I, I'm not going to bet against them until they give me a reason to and I don't think they've really given me a reason to just yet obviously I know they lost Justin Verlander but that rotation is now what Fromber, Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia, Javier, Hunter Brown, who I think is can be a rookie of the year candidate. Like, and the the lineup is got better somehow because Jose Abreu is now their first baseman. And what I just it seems like the Astros. We keep saying they have a bad farm system, but somehow they keep popping out guys that are like hitting three hundred with like a thousand OPSs or something. I know that's dramatic, but like somehow the Astros just keep pumping out these guys that it's just like, I'm waiting for, for the final shoe to drop and it doesn't. Um, and we thought the Mariners maybe could have made a shake in the playoffs last year. And I was, I was, I covered that series helping out McTaggart and the Astros kind of swept it. Not, it wasn't easy, but at the end of the day, the Astros had just had more depth and veteran presence to be able to pretty, handle them pretty readily in the ALDS so as of now again I don't think anybody can overtake the Astros and until they give me a reason to to doubt them I don't think I will I'm sorry to all the Rangers fans that are listening to this I mean I totally agree with you and I feel like any discussion of the AL West really gets into what we think of those three other teams so the Rangers who we talked about the Mariners you alluded to and the Angels 
So it's really interesting if you look at the different projections out right now. Pagoda has, of course, the Astros winning the division, has the Angels next round 86-87 wins, then the Mariners at 81.8 to 82, and then the Rangers. But if we go to the uh, Fangraphs playoff odds, the order they have it in is slightly different. They have the Astros, then the Mariners, then the Angels, and then the Rangers. Now, that's sort of what I'm anticipating will happen. Although, I continue to think that the Angels simply don't have enough pitching. And I think they're unfortunately one Otani or Trout injury away from being in fourth place and the Rangers ahead of them. I think that that sort of... Uh, that orientation is going to depend on Jacob DeGrom's health, but I think it's the Mariners ahead of head and shoulders about the Angels and Rangers, but I'm curious what you sort of think of those three teams and how they might finish. We actually had this discussion in the Rangers media workroom the other day about the Mariners and how, I mean, they kind of burst on the scene. They won, what, 90 games last year? Um, but when you look at that team last year, it seems like they were healthy the entire year. Like, it seems like almost nobody was on the IL. None of the big, important guys, especially in that rotation. And I'm just, I'm kind of curious if that can happen again. I know we're all, we're all looking at the Raiders rotation, looking at the health of these guys, obviously, with nobody pitching in anywhere over 150 innings for the Rangers, except for Martin Perez, who pitched 199. Um, but I just am curious if everybody in the Mariners rotation can continue to stay healthy throughout an entire season. Um, the odds of that happening, obviously, are slim to none just by nature of baseball. But I think that's very curious to think about. And even just, I mean, Julio Rodriguez is the most exciting young player in baseball. Like, he's just, he's so fun. And I think they have a very deep lineup. And I do think they are better than the Rangers. But I, I think the health is going to come down to it for these two teams. And honestly, the three, because a, a Trout injury or an Otani injury, like you said, can have them falling flat on their faces in July. Um, the Angels, I, I think they've gotten better, but not nearly as added as much talent or depth as either the Mariners or the Rangers have. But when you have the two best players in baseball, I guess maybe they're still holding on to that and seeing if it can it can work out. And then Oakland is in Oakland. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask because I feel like the AL West gets overlooked so much because it just seems like it's just the Astros. Um, so many people think of it and it's just like, oh, well, that's just the Astros you think about the players that are in the AL West, so many of them just don't even get the time that they deserve because they are on so late when it comes to the Eastern time. And uh, what's it like to be able to, I mean, I know that there's just slightly fewer games in, in division this year because of the schedule changes, but you still see the same team so often. How awesome is it to be able to sit there and watch Julio Rodriguez, watch Mike Trout, watch Sohei Otani? Um, now you have Jacob deGrom. Uh, I know Sarah still has him as the best pitcher in baseball on her list. I mean, what's it like to be able to watch these types of guys all the time? No, it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm, I'll never forget one day last year, Justin Verlander and Martin Perez, for, of all people, had a, like the greatest pitcher's duel I've probably ever seen in my life. And 
Martin Perez took a, a perfect game into the eighth inning and Justin Verlander only gave up one hit and, and the Astros ended up winning, I think two nothing, but it was just, I was more in awe of like Martin Perez is out pitching Justin Verlander right now, first of all, but then like, that's Justin Verlander. That's like a hall of famer who's literally just right before my eyes. And again, I I've taken a lot of trips to Anaheim and obviously that's not on the top of everybody's list of MLB cities, but just being able to see Mike uh, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani pitch or play on the regular is amazing. The first time I saw Mike Trout was actually in spring training, and he took like a random Rangers reliever deep off the batter's eye in surprise. And I was like, "This okay, that's pretty cool." Like, and I see that fairly often. I have seen Mike Trout hit many many home runs off many Rangers relievers. Um, so I do think it kind of it gets lost in the sauce because of again the division. It's been dominated by the Astros, so the rest of the teams kind of fall fallen behind. But I mean, it's really great, and I'm pretty blessed to be in this division, no matter how bad the Rangers have been for my two years on it. <laughs> but now you get again one of the hot topic teams, which is really really fun, and I know we're all really excited to see your covers this year. So, as a final question going to ask you to order the division one through five and then I don't think we asked Juan for a wins prediction but we're going to do that moving forward so you were the test case so uh, also how many wins just for the Rangers so my order would ha- probably have to be Astros Mariners Rangers Angels A's um I'm trying to think I said I told a friend the other day. I think the Rangers are over five hundred, um, which is a big. It's a big leap from where they were. I, I think sixty eight wins last year, but I think they get over five hundred. Um, let's give me sixty two. Give me eighty two and eighty. Will that get them into the playoffs? I'm going eighty two and eighty. I'm just feeling it. Solid eighty two <laughs> and eighty. You heard it here first, Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us, taking the time. This was great and. Uh, you're just another example of why we love doing this. This is this is really fun and fun conversation. So thank you so much. Make sure you check out Kennedy's work, rangers.com. Awesome. Thank you. And Sarah, we'll be right back. And of course, we'll get into Sarah's favorite topic. We'll get into the Juan Soto beat. Sarah will give us all things Juan Soto. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And once again, a huge thank you to Kennedy Landry for joining us to break down the AL West. And now, Sarah, I mean, we might as well just stay in the West and use any excuse that we possibly can to get back into your wheelhouse of, you know, the Juan Soto beat, let's call it. Sarah is our master of the Juan Soto beat. And I know anytime we can bring him back up, 
We're definitely going to. And you just wrote about him. So um, you broke down exactly why he's still projected to be a top hitter. And after, well, I guess a lot of people say it was a down year, but you start looking into it, it, it really wasn't. So, all right, Sarah, go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> All right, for the record, yes, Monzo to beat, yes, Monzo to stat beat, but in my defense, this story was begging to be written. This was not me trying to make it a Monzo story, trying mm -hmm. to find a stat to write about. The reason I wrote this story and the reason we're having this conversation is because, as you said, the steamer projections, which came out last, uh, maybe earlier this month, they've been out for a bit now, have him as the top offensive player in baseball in 2023 by both war at 7.1 and weight of runs created plus at 171. And I was talking to Andrew Simon, one of our great editors and researchers here at MLB.com. And he was saying, you know, I think people might be surprised to see after the humongous season Aaron Judge had, not just with home runs, but across the board. The fact that he was in contention for a triple crown down to the end of the year, he was contributing offensively everywhere, that he is not projected as the top offensive player. It's close, but it's Soto. So the first thing that I sort of went into here what you allude to at the top, the idea that his down year, as people have called it, needs to be put into proper perspective. So, he had a 145 way to runs created plus last year. Way to runs created plus when those stats were 100th league average. He was 45% better than MLB average offensively last year. In a year where we said he had a bad year. I mean, most players would love to have that bad year. I think with him, it's sort of like a, I don't know, it's sort of like Jose Ramirez, at least in my head, where you look at his numbers last year after he had the thumb injury, which was mid-June, and his numbers weren't great, and the focus going into the po off the postseason was – how are they going to do this with Jose playing so poorly? And it was just so funny because that for him was playing poorly. But for so many people, you would just want to be at that level regardless and not have that high standard that you've already set for yourself. So you start breaking things down like with Jose and you start thinking, OK, well, he really wasn't like that bad. It wasn't like he was terrible. Um, so that's sort of what I was thinking as I was reading through this, but I think it's also along the same lines of why you want to stick with DeGrom and all of these types of things. I mean, these players have established themselves for a reason and when slight things happen in DeGrom's case and, uh, you know, as many injuries as want to keep following him even into this spring, um, is in his case, it's injuries. and in Soto's case, it was what people called a quote-unquote down year. And um, despite those, there's always this underlying base of 
something that's so much better than anyone else, which is why they are the stars that they are. So, I mean, I think going into this year, it'll be it'll be fun to see him thrive for this team because of the focus of it being once he was traded, then everything went downhill and we talked last week with Juan Trebio, who covers the Dodgers for MLB.com, and thinking about that rivalry that can really amp up this year between the Padres and the Dodgers. And if you think about Juan Soto being the best Juan Soto, think about how fun those games could be and how much more airtime we can get for those and more people staying awake for things like that because – you have some of the, not just the best teams, but best players going head-to-head. If Juan Soto is Juan Soto, I think that that division gets really interesting. So part of what was different for him last year was the quality of the contact he was making. So as you kind of referred to, the underlying base for him is really, really good. We know the play discipline is there. We know he's going to walk. We know he's not going to swing all that much. All of that is true. And because of that, because he has the lowest swing rate in the majors, it feels like every moment he makes contact, there's even more sort of pressure on him. Because if you're picking and choosing your swings that precisely, you need them to count. And last year, he had his lowest hard hit rate since his rookie year in 2018. And he had his lowest sweet spot rate, which is the ideal launch ankle contact of his career. And so you could look at that and say, oh, his swing is broken. But I look at that and see a guy who has been really, really good for every other year of his career. And been very, very good at both of those things, hitting the ball hard which leads to good results, and making good ankle contact, which leads to good results. And I see that as he can absolutely get back to where he was. So even though his numbers were down for him, there's a lot of reason to believe they won't be this year. And the other thing is, it's amazing to say about a guy who has yet to play a game as a 24-year-old, but he has built Jeez. this amazing... Yeah, that just put it really into perspective. <laughs> but he has this incredible track record where we know he's not going to strike out. We know he's not going to chase. He has the largest difference in walk rate. So he led the major than walk rate at 20.3%. Next highest was uh, Aaron Judge and Max Muncy, and I believe it was 15.9%. It was the largest difference between 1 and 2 in walk rate since a Barry Bond year. When you were doing that, you were out walking your competition as well as Barry Bonds did. That also means you have that fearsomeness. And so even though he's only 24 years old, I think his track record is another mark in his favor when you see these huge uh, projections. And you say, okay, this guy hit 240 last year, but I see why this will happen. And the age is another check in his favor. I mean, for comparing him to Judge, which is not the point here, they're very different players, both Judge being the player that most would expect to be projected to lead this year. If you are comparing them, 
Soto has had more Soto seasons than Judge has had 62 homer seasons. Now, that's not fair because no one's, <laughs> very few guys have had the 62 homer seasons. But Soto has that track record and he has age. I mean, we've talked about it with Aaron Judge with his contract. He's one of the older players to be getting a contract like he did. Now, old is on the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> I always think of that with sports. I mean, we call someone who's 31 or 30 old. It's not. Mm -hmm. But for sports, it is when there are 24-year-olds on the field like Juan Soto. So that's what I wrote about. And I really think if you look at the numbers, he got a bit unlucky last year on batted balls. Even still, even if those had gone his way, he wouldn't have been quite the Soto we're used to seeing. But the issues, if you want to call them that, are so fixable and I mean you know we're all about intangibles on this show I think that's a fair statement to make and I just saw today videos and photos of him at photo day just the most relaxed individual in the world making all of these funny faces holding up his Dominican flag doing all of these things and I do think there's a lot to be said for those intangibles and for the situation he's in. We know leading up to the All-Star game last year, he was under so much pressure with the rumors. Would he be traded? Would he not? Then he was traded and he was expected to save an entire team. And then that team star player got suspended. All of these things happened. This year, he's approaching in a way where it can be his moment and I think that's really good and really important as well. I just want to drive home the fact of one of the stats that you already said before we move on from this because to think about I didn't I, I don't think I realized that he led MLB in walk rate but to think of him beating out Judge who no one wanted to pitch to at mm -hmm. all why would you you don't want to be one of those 62 um to think of him beating out Judge in a quote-unquote down year, uh, you really, you can't say many things to explain how good of a hitter that means. Like, the eye, the patience, everything. And when you're not doing as well as you're expecting yourself to do, it's so easy to go out of the zone. It's so easy to start chasing. Um, and I, I hate to bring up this example again and this comparison again, but... My brain goes to Jose Ramirez again because last year when he was in that, his strike zone expands. I mean, I was just talking to their Guardians assistant hitting coach, Victor Rodriguez, the other day, and he was just saying that. He was like, as long as Jose doesn't put too much pressure on himself and allow that zone to expand because that's when you can start to see him chase. When he feels like he needs to do more, he chases. And that, that's, I mean, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and even those types of guys can fall into that. So for him to be able to keep the game at a slow pace, to be able to see the ball, to be able to keep the zone where he knows the zone is um, and not try to do too much. There's so much to be said about that that I don't think just, you know, anyone just watching would realize how difficult that is, especially when you're feeling the national pressure of, 
oh, this guy was the biggest trade, blah, 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 and now he's not doing well, all this stuff. For him to be able to stay that way, jeez, that's, that's ridiculously impressive. And I just wanted to offer on how in sync Mandy and I are. This is an exact sentence from my story, which I wrote last oh, no. week. Not only did his, did his outstanding plate discipline persist, it did so through <laughs> the noise. I mean, there's the exact same point. And it shows something that, uh, you know, we're both picking up on. I'm sure the Padres front office did too. Just this idea that even in a year where so much happened, at the foundational level, he was still Juan Soto. And that's why you know the home runs are going to come back. He hit the ball harder in the playoffs. He had some moments for them in that wildcard series against the Mets, especially, where it really felt like he was Juan Soto. And then again against the Dodgers. So it's very much there. And I do want to drop one more stat since you mentioned the walk rate. So again, the fact that he walked more then Judge makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, it does because it's him. But when you just think about the idea of this guy was hitting 60 home runs, no one should have pitched him. But not only, I mean, we've discussed this 20%. I want to make sure people understand. 20% walk rate <laughs> means that in 20% of your plate appearances, you walk. That is, what, a fifth of the time? I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And so I was curious about that percentage because it sounds really high. So he has now had a 20% walk rate in a qualified season three times in his career. That is already tied for the fifth most all-time by any player. The only guys with more are Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, and Max Bishop. And none of them had three through age 23. So, I mean, just the point of <laughs> this play discipline is insane. And this is why he will continue to be who he is. Okay, Sarah, I need to tell you my, my moment from baseball this week. I'm so excited to tell you this, this whole story. Like, I've never been more excited for this segment. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll get into our favorite moments because I have a doozy. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I left us on a little bit of a cliffhanger. I'm so excited to share mine, but you start us off. I want to hear your favorite moment in baseball from this past week. I've had guesses. Literally now, this, is, this whole segment has changed how I view Twitter because I'm like, is this going to be Sarah's? No, this one's going to be Sarah's. So now I'm just like anxiously waiting which one you picked because I saw a couple where I thought you could have picked it for this week. There were a lot of good ones this week, and I know that'll be part of the course moving forward. I love the trend of guys holding up someone else's name tag at photo deck. Like, it's so simple. It's just a visual gag. But uh, Bruce Gratterall <laughs> holding up Clayton Kershaw number 22. Really, really good, but not mine. Mm-hmm. Just, you Always. know, using a bonus one. But I'm, I'm going to use, like, I mean, I texted it to you this morning, so, like, I pretty much gave myself away. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about the Rogers twins. They're both on the Giants, and <laughs> they're identical twins. And it's going to be an amazing storyline every, every day of this season. So, uh, Evan... We back Webex, sorry Evan, I hope I said it right, of the uh, Mercury News, wrote a great story that went up today, which is how the Giants, the players themselves, are telling mm-hmm. the Rogers twins apart. And it's just these amazing quotes from Gabe Kapler and John Brebbia and everyone else about how they tell the two of them apart. So a couple of the great quotes, just to pull out real quick. Uh, Gabe Kapler, surprisingly, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And then there was this great part from uh, John Brebbia, who's a reliever uh, for the Giants. He said that he did some homework in advance. I looked online. I looked at pictures. I thought it was going great. I was like, I can do this. I can absolutely do this. And then I get here, day one, and one of the Rogers brothers is walking down. I'm looking at him, and I'm like, Tyler. And he goes, nope, and keeps going. And I was like, dang it. And there are just all of these great lines from teammates and of course also from guys like Jock Peterson who actually faced them in back-to-back at bats during live BP the other day when they pitched consecutively. And of course, part of the fun about them is that they are identical twins, but one of them is a submariner. One is a righty, one is a lefty, one throws overhand. The only thing they don't do exactly the same as pitch, but even that is almost Mm -hmm. a mirror image because uh, opposite hands and submarine versus overhand. So there was a cool quote. Let me see if I can scroll through it from Jock Peterson. Yeah, he said, it was weird. It's like you're looking at the same person twice. And then uh, David VR was talking about them being polar opposites. And it's like they just switched gloves and Taylor just went out there and threw under him and Tyler went out and threw lefty. You never know which one it is until they bring out their glove. I just love this. And there's also a kind of fun part towards the beginning when they talked about 
the pros and cons of if Taylor were to join the Giants in free agency and link up with his brother, twin brother Tyler. And how they were kind of like, yeah, it'll be a thing, but people will get past it. I'm not getting past it, so I apologize, but I absolutely love this. And the final part of it that I'll add on, because it did happen in the same week, was the Giants did a tweet of that Spider-Man meme that hopefully everyone knows what we're talking about. There's two Spider-Mans and they're pointing at each other because they're exactly the same. They had the Rogers twins do that and then tweet it side by side, which is just icing on the cake. They've done so many good things with that so far. These guys have to be used to it. I mean, they're identical twins. They're the same age. They would have been elite baseball players their whole lives. They would have been on the same team forever, dealing with people trying to tell them apart until they put their gloves on. They're used to all of this. It's everyone else who's like, wow, this is crazy. This is new. This is different. Um, but that would be really cool to do it on this stage. So I'm sure they're having a blast with it. I'm sure they'll get tired of it at some point. But uh, if that's the only thing that you have to worry about, I think everything's going well. So I've been loving watching all of that content, reading all of that content. It's uh, it's a blast for baseball. So um, mine uh, is specific, at least to me. I was able to cover this. I guess it's a story, but it's more just Tito's life in a nutshell. So uh, he, earlier this week, he had, he was addressing the team, Terry Francona, the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. He was addressing his team for the first time of the spring. Now, every year he has this huge meeting where he puts so much pressure on himself. He cares so much about it. It's not just like a meeting. It's more just like he wants to set the tone for the season. It's more than a meeting. That's why he gets so nervous. He wants to say all the right things. He wants to get his team to buy in from day one. Um, so he, he, he takes so much pride in making sure this is correct. He starts thinking about these things over the winter. He, I mean, he has said that he's pulled off on the side of the road before to jot down a thought that popped into his head. He started doing it back in January for Guards Fest. He came into town. He said he was staying up all night writing things down. It was the night before, which was Monday earlier this week. And he was like, I am staying in my place in my hotel. I'm not leaving. Uh, all the coaching staff asked him to go out to dinner. He's like, no, I need to perfect this. I'm staying in. So in doing so, he uh, heated up some pasta in the microwave. And I don't, I, I really need to follow up on that because how do you cook pasta? Unless it was leftovers, but it doesn't sound like it maybe cup of noodles. I don't know. I need more story of why pasta's in the microwave. But he said the bottom of the cup did not cook or whatever it was. Whatever was at the bottom did not cook. He didn't realize that until he got there. So he took a bite of pasta that was raw and it was just a raw noodle and he felt something and he was like, huh, that didn't feel good. He was chewing and he was swallowed and he was like, my God, that was horrible. And then he looked in the mirror and saw that he broke his tooth on the pasta. So because he's so stressed, he stays in to try to focus on this. He breaks his tooth. Then he goes back to focusing on the words. He's like, you know what? Now I have to worry about if I look stupid. Is this going to be able to show? Is this going to affect me? He can't sleep. He stays up the whole night, basically. He's up at 3.30 in the morning. He's like, screw it. I'm going into the office so that I can start working on this more. He's perfecting it. He has all of his notes scattered all over his desk. He has a cup of coffee. It's three in the morning, so obviously he needs that. Well, he spills the cup of coffee all over his notes. He's like, I need to print this out. 
He tries to print it out. The printer's not working. He doesn't know how to fix the printer. It's almost four in the morning. Nobody's <laughs> in the building, so he can't get anyone to help him with this printer. So he just kept saying, I know the day has to keep getting better at some point. Um, it did. The day went fine. He went through the speech. He came in and talked to us afterwards. He was drenched in sweat from nerves. It was so funny. I mean, this guy doesn't get rattled by anything. He's almost 64 years old. He's been in the game forever. It's so wholesome. I don't really know another word for it um, to see how much he, this matters to him every single year and how nervous he gets to show it. And I think everything leading up to it just sort of drives home the fact of how much this matters to him. But of course, everything goes wrong because for Tito, everything always goes wrong. Um, he made a joke. He's like, I'm finally healthy and now I have to go find a dentist. Um, so he had their medical staff hunting down any dentist that could get him in immediately. And he's like, I don't care who they find. They can call 1-800-DENTIST for all I care, whatever. And so, <laughs> of course, when he tells the stories, they're hilarious. He gets in the next day. They put in like a temporary crown or something like that until he can get his permanent one like next week. Um, and so the, the dentist told him like, dude, you can't chew on that tooth. It's going to pop off. It's just a temp. Don't chew on that side. Tito's like, this will be great. Like, maybe I'll lose five or six pounds in this week. Like, this will be awesome. And then instead, he was, went home and he ate a whole pizza. And he was like, and I ate it all on this <laughs> side of my mouth, which was the good side. And he's like, I went so slow and so carefully, but I ate that whole pizza. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, Tito. <laughs> but that is him in a nutshell. I thought that, I mean, it was so fun to just sit there and listen to him tell it. He tells it way better than any of us would ever. But uh, gave me some fun content to write this week, was able to write that whole story and just any Tito saga that we can get is gold. So I was very excited for that one. This is why <laughs> we love baseball because it gives a great place for someone like Terry Franco. That is someone who has been gamefully employed by this game since he was what, right out of Arizona yep. State, right? So basically in his yep. early 20s. And he can go through all these trials and tribulations, <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's a Hall of Fame manager. There's nowhere else where you find personalities like that, along with success like that. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And by the way, and you know, listeners can tweet us if they agree. You did a really good job telling that story. Like, I had seen the tweets. So I knew where you were going the moment you started talking. It was much better the way you thank told you. it than uh, the couple you. of tweets. So, you know, the lesson is we always, whenever there's a Tito thing, we're just going <laughs> to wait and wait for Mandy to tell us yeah, on the well, podcast. Well, I like that going forward. But that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Conventions podcast, and we'll see you next week.